0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 60th episode of a bi weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, fresh off Tuesday fixtures alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are we doing?
1: Footy, Zach. Special guest interviews. Footy.
0: I think this might be the first episode in which we've had multiple interviews because we've had. A couple interviews, not very many, but I think this is the first time we're packing we're packing it. We're packing yeah. the middle of the pod.
1: That's right. We've got a lot of friends of the pod here that we can leverage when massive things happen in the world of football. And that's just what we did this week, Zach.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're really just sending us right into the agenda for today, Adam. Uh interviews. We're going to have two, as we mentioned. The first one that we will be uh, airing during this episode is with Adam's friend Rich. Um, Adam, why don't you give a little profile for why in the world you're you're speaking to Rich today?
1: Yeah, so a little bit of background on Rich's guest speaking on the pod. Uh, There's a gentleman called Graham Jones, who is rumored and supposedly imminently about to be appointed as a first team coach at Newcastle. Graham Jones actually was the Luton Town manager last season before he was fired. Um, halfway through the season so rich is an avid luton town fan has been his whole life and i asked him for some insights into graham jones and what we as toon fans could expect from him as he partners steve bruce to try and take us
0: up the table (laughs) oh geez the laughter that you couldn't even make it through a full serious sentence about about go newcastle going up the table which i don't think we've done since october gone above another team in the Premier league
1: Falling slowly, form table in the league has us with five losses in the row. The only team that can do it, we're special.
0: Yeah, it's true. Uh, we are also only one of three or four teams that have played twenty matches. So not only are we the worst form in the league, but everybody below us has games in hand, which is never uh, good to see. Um, but yeah, so so first interview will be with Rich. Very. Uh, happy that he was you know, willing to hop on the phone and talk about a, a manager that he probably can't stand. Um, and speaking of managers who have been recently ousted, we're bringing back Gus Angus Armstrong, the original founder of the False Nines with me. Uh, longtime listeners will know that Gus is a avid Chelsea fan, and obviously the biggest news coming from Chelsea this week was the uh, firing of Frank Lampard. So Gus. Uh, as you might expect, has a lot to say about that. I had a really nice conversation with him yesterday to hear him voice his opinion. So we'll be doing that back to back in the middle of the pod going rich right into Gus. Um, But yeah, it should be an exciting one today, Adam.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a good one. I'm excited. Like you said, multiple interviews for the first time. We needed to do something special to mark episode number 60. Right,
0: exactly you know the arbitrary passing of every 10 needs to have some sort of some yeah. sort of recognition by us before we jump into this uh, i do want to just remind folks we are part of the coming home newcastle podcast network so uh, as you will probably expect with newcastle dropping another match today uh, chn radio will be coming out with a recap episode of theirs in the next day to two days keep tuned in for that if you ever want to reach out to us on uh, Twitter, on the internet, hit us up at at chnpodcasts. You can also contact me uh, individually at Zpensac. that's my name, z-p-e-n-s-a-k or coming home Newcastle podcast. Um, we will give you all of that Newcastle United news that you probably don't want to see right now. So the the arbiters of doom at the moment.
1: Yep. Yep. And if you want to contact me, either hit up hit me up because you have my contact information or hit Zach up and he'll get you in touch with me. I will
0: time. I will direct you where you need to send the carrier pigeon to, to Adams to Adams Walsh Castle outside of Denver, Colorado.
1: That is right. That is my preferred method of delivery for communication. <laughs> All right. So let's get started here on our agenda for today. We're going to start with some EPL trivia. This went down well last week. I heard one of your friends tried to get it and got it wrong. Is that right, Zach? You want to give him a quick shout out?
0: Yeah, I do want to give a uh, a quick shout out to my boy, Matt Golden uh, texted me and said that he was sure that it was uh, John Terry until last moment. So uh, good to see that uh, Matt gave a shot at it and narrowly missed as it was. Uh, um, Gareth Barry was the the answer to the trivia question, who has played the most games in the Premier League? Although I think John Terry might be number two, so that's the... Second best guess you could give, but yeah, I'm excited for it today, Adam. Are you going to crank up the difficulty a little bit?
1: Yes, this was definitely going to be a little bit more difficult for you, Zach. And again, just to remind our listeners, EPL trivia, we're going to give you a clue. It's just general trivia, not Newcastle specific at the start of the pod. Give another clue midway through the pod and then a final clue at the end of the pod. And we'll see if Zach can come up with the correct answer. Please play along at home. Here is the question um, that we are going to be answering today. Zach, which former player holds the record for the most EPL-owned goals with a total of 10 in his professional career? Which former player holds the record for most Premier League-owned goals with a total of 10 in his career? We'll have another clue for you midway through the pod.
0: Okay. Yeah, that is most definitely a, a bit harder of a question. That's something that I will certainly need a couple of um Excuse me, a couple of clues to get. I do want to actually (laughs) – I I got that totally wrong. It wasn't just my friend Matt who uh, phoned in with the wrong answer. I also want to shout out my friend Sam Koenig who was under the impression it was Ryan Giggs who had the most Premier League appearances. So uh, Sam also needs to be shouted out as somebody who was incorrect while I was correct. But, yeah, good trivia for today, Adam.
1: And this is why you are hosting the False Nines, and Sam and Matt are not, Zach.
0: That's, that is exactly the conclusion to draw from that statement. Probably shouldn't
1: zing our listeners, given we have a couple of hundred of them. But guys, hopefully you do better this week.
0: Yeah, okay. So again, who has the most own goals in Premier League history? A former Premier League player has 10 own goals. Adam will give a couple more clues throughout the pod. But to hop into it today, we uh, had a weekend of FA Cup Fixtures. So a bit of a break from the Prem, except for Newcastle, who seemingly is playing every three days uh, right now and obviously not doing too well in those days. But jumping into some of the notable events of the Premier League, uh, excuse me, of the FA Cup weekend. Uh, first match that was played on Friday, Southampton knocking out cup holder Arsenal. It was a 1-0 victory for the Southern Coast Southampton lads uh yeah a big upset as arsenal as we joke and i think i said on armchair pundits earlier this year arsenal will repeat as fa cup champions and it will not to be
1: yeah so um uh, interesting one this one i think you know if you think back to the previous round newcastle might have seen off arsenal themselves arsenal historically a pretty strong cup team certainly in recent years at least and yeah uh it was it was a one nil win for southampton another impressive scalp for for Ralph Hassenhudel. Something of note in this game for me, it was kind of an unfortunate goal that they conceded, an own goal off Gabrielle. But the uh, the Southampton player putting the shot in was, of course, Kyle Walker-Peters, um, who was playing for Spurs last season. So I thought maybe the, uh, the North London rivalry um, added to his celebrations there where he put that first goal away. He looked pretty pleased with himself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you'd always, you'd always associate some sort of kind of vitriol for the North London rivalry, even if he's not playing uh, for for Tottenham any longer. But Southampton slipping a bit in the Premier League, but you know, that's a that's a huge victory for them to to get it over Arsenal and uh, now be a team to beat in the FA Cup. You'd think it would, it would be an extremely successful season if they uh, even got to the finals. I would think for Southampton.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know they're they're going to be comfortably mid-table, maybe a little bit higher. And you know, if they can progress in the cup, especially with some of the quality teams left in it, I think they'd be pretty happy with that. On the game itself, um, 62% possession for Arsenal. Southampton obviously dominate a lot of possession against a lot of teams. So good to see the possession stats trending upwards for Arsenal. But only two shots on target each for for these two teams unsurprising then that we got a one nil game a single goal deciding it so onward for Southampton uh, another team that um we were looking at Premier League team playing against a fourth division rival in Cheltenham was Manchester City Manchester City who went down one nil in this game but comfortably came back in the last 10 minutes I think comfortably maybe not the right word <laughs> came back in the last 10 minutes inevitably to win 3-1 in this one scoreline a little bit more um Scoreline a little bit deceiving, I guess, here in terms of how the game played out, Zach.
0: I think you have to give Cheltenham quite a lot of bit of credit to keep it at 0-0 until the 65th and then 1-0 until only the, the 81st minute where the, the doors kind of flew off a bit. It was the product of a long throw-in where uh, that's how Cheltenham got their goal. Uh, and I actually heard an interview with the player who took that throw-in and he was saying that uh, it might be the highlight of his career to be kind of pushed by Pep Guardiola when uh, it was clear that he was trying to inch a bit forward and Pep took issue to that. And just uh, hear, hearing the the players say that to to kind of annoy Pep Guardiola is is something to to behold and something that he'll always remember being a player who probably probably will not be climbing up into the Premier League and, and seeing Pep uh, anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, as you said, Manchester City right now scoring in absolute buckets and getting that victory Um, now the most interesting in the marquee matchup of the weekend Adam was Manchester United playing Liverpool at at the time one and two in the Premier League table as well so a lot of stipulations on here I would you you could probably argue one of the you know certainly one of the oldest maybe the strongest rivalry in the Premier League right now is between those two clubs and what a match it was Uh, five goals were scored free-flowing football. Both teams playing almost entirely full-strength sides, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, Obviously, uh, (laughs) Jurgen Klopp particularly has had a lot to say about the congested fixture list, and so for him to be putting out a side that was near full-strength certainly showed how important he is ranking the domestic cup in Liverpool's priorities this year.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, could you make the argument perhaps that Klopp is doing so because he feels like his chances of retaining the Premier League title are less this season, and he's trying to pick up some silverware? I don't know. Only, only Jurgen Klopp knows that. But again, to your point, this was um, a match following on from a nil-nil that we had a few weeks prior with these two teams. We finally got the open goal-scoring game. That we wanted in this one. I think there were a couple of stars in this Mohamed Salah back to goal scoring ways, as you mentioned, with two goals, and then Manchester United, just that counter-attacking football really was what won it for them in the end.
0: Mm-hmm. Both uh both Mason Greenwood and um and uh Marcus Rashford. I don't know why I just blanked there, uh scoring on the counter-attack for Manchester United. I would say the Uh, The Greenwood goal was particularly uh, incredible to watch with uh, Rashford taking it down the left, coming to a complete stop and without even taking a step back, seemingly just on a standing leg, pinging about a 50-yard ball to the rushing Greenwood, um, which was just a phenomenal pass by Marcus Rashford. But uh, really what it came down to, it was 2-2 in, uh, I think it was the 85th minute. Manchester United gets a free kick and Bruno Fernandes, who I think is... Not only has been universally considered their best player in the last season and a half, but I think some people would make the argument the best player in the Premier League and maybe the calendar year of 2020 coming on as a substitute and taking a free kick from right outside the box and The placement on the free kick, whipping it low into the bottom corner. Allison, you could say, is maybe a little bit wrong-footed, but the technique that Fernandez showed there uh, to put it exactly where Allison could not stop it was phenomenal. And I actually was reading the day after this match that uh, in the the practice prior to this match. So the practice on Saturday, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer told Bruno Fernandez he wouldn't be starting him in the FA Cup fixture, wanted to give him a little bit of a rest. And Bruno Fernandez responded to that by staying after practice alone for 45 minutes, taking free kicks in the dark. And he comes on as a substitute and <laughs> hits a blunderer for free kick to win it. So uh, yeah, every the world is on that man's shoulders right now and he's not really letting anybody down.
1: That's incredible. I hadn't heard that story. That's a really, really great story, but not not surprising to me. You can you can sense the commitment and the leadership that they have in that team right now. Um, we, we've we've said that they think they'll drop off, but they don't seem to be right now. They've been putting in some fantastic recent form, only really bettered by City, I would say, just in terms of their current current Premier League form. So credit to them. Um, yeah. So that now let's let's kind of wrap that conversation by talking a little bit about Liverpool's form. Speaking of kind of one one side of the tree to the other, right? We've got three losses in five in all competitions, three points from 15 in the league. Their home undefeated streak was snapped um, as they lost at home 1-0 to Burnley last week. Klop out,
0: Zach? Klopp, not out. No, I I think Klopp has succeeded too much at Liverpool to have as short of a leash as maybe another manager in the Premier League had this season that we'll hear about a little bit later. But there are clear issues with the Liverpool side right now. I, I think the really it starts at the center back crises that Liverpool has had this season, not only losing Virgil van Dijk at the very beginning of the season, but losing Joe Gomez shortly after uh, probably the two center backs that were predicted to start almost every match for Liverpool this season. And one thing that I've noticed watching them so far is the way in which Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, their two winning backs are now seemingly being caught out of position time after time. Now, in my mind, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold aren't changing anything about how they play. They, A lot of people said that last year they were the most important attacking players on Liverpool just because of how far up the pitch they would go, the crosses they would whip in. But without Van Dijk and Gomez being able to anchor that defense and essentially at times play as a two-man defense, uh, reliably so – you're, you're getting caught out time after time because you don't have the, the pace in the centre-back play. You have academy products coming in and filling those roles, as well as uh, we saw Fabinho on the weekend, who's a, a natural centre midfielder, coming back to play centre defence. And I think that that's, that's a big gaping part of Liverpool right now. And without Robertson and Alexander-Arnold to be able to have the freedom that they had last season, you're seeing a lot of stagnation in that Liverpool attack.
1: I, I hear what you're saying, um, and I and I acknowledge it too, but we're, here we are, we're recording this on the 26th of January. Where are the reinforcements, right? Why, That's haven't really they, why haven't they brought in anybody? And, you know, in our next pod, I think it'd be great if we kind of do a look back at the January transfer window and kind of look at the incomings and outgoings there, but there certainly haven't been any on the defensive side for Liverpool. So if this is such a big problem, why are they waiting till the end of the transfer window to address it? You know, these are important games that they're losing while they wait
0: especially coming off a, you know, a, a season in which they were clearly the best team in the Premier League and, and had this historic year, you, you wonder if, are, are they settling for that kind of striving for the Champions League? Do, do, you, do you think that Liverpool inside the club feels as though the title hopes are gone? Because I don't think so. There's no way that Klopp is giving up.
1: I don't think so either, but I think Klopp has more determination maybe than some of the players on the field do right now. Yes, they're without big name players. And I think that's a big part of it, but offensively, they're not exactly clicking either to be fair. So the way, the way I look at it is, you know, last season, they won the title the season before that they lost one game, right? They have to let their foot off the gas at some point now that they've won it. Is there as much desire in the team for them to go back out and do it again because they have that mark on their back now where other teams are going to be trying to kind of knock them off their pedestal. Right now looking at the league, they're outside the top 4. Like if the if the team we finished the league today, Liverpool would not make the Champions League next season, which would be unheard of. And I don't think that will happen. I think they will get back, but I certainly at this point with this form don't think that they'll be winning the league this year.
0: We'll have to see what happens in the next five days. Uh, you're right, because if, if they bring in a a marquee center back or at least somebody who can fill the void before they they get the return from injury from a number of players, uh, then then maybe we'll we'll you know, launch them back into the title contention. But at the moment, yeah, they look like they're drifting slower slower and slower away from uh, fighting for the top of the table this season.
1: Cool. All right, so let's pivot over um, to Tuesday's Premier League matches. We're we're recording this on Tuesday, so whenever you're listening to it, this is Tuesday's Premier League match roundup. We'll start with our beloved love-hate relationship, Newcastle United, who lost again today, Zach, at home to Leeds 2-1. 11 matches in all competitions for Newcastle without a win. Two goals in nine games, slipping in the table now to 16th following Burnley's win last week um brighton just two points behind us and we're seven points clear of safety however fulham in 18th have two games in hand on us where do we start here this, this is an alarming alarming slide for newcastle and I, I can't right now see where we start to turn the corner
0: it's not going to come in the january transfer window that's for sure i i don't think I I doubt that Newcastle brings anybody in, and I think if we do, it's maybe uh, a, a rotation kind of a platoon player or two. I I mean we, we've got the the funny thing is we've said the same thing week after week, and nothing is changing. The attack is seemingly basing it basing around a a, a player in Callum Wilson who's getting very little support up top alone. Uh, it was nice. Piece of play that led to the Miguel Almarone goal today. Uh, it was actually Joe Linton who fed him the ball, um, and Almarone able to kind of use his pace to get behind the defense and slot it in. But the the defense looks shambolic for Newcastle. Players are being played wildly out of position. You had Isaac Hayden at right back today, um, and I don't need to I don't need to remind anybody where I think the blame lies. That I think it it ultimately will continue to come down on the manager who seemingly cannot figure out. A, what is his best team? And B, how to get any level of effort out of his team as a collective whole. So slipping fast, slipping yeah. fast.
1: If there's any positives to take out of today, and I did watch watch the game today, um, Alan St. Maximin coming back and getting 30 minutes under his belt and seeming to make a difference when he came on. Saw glimpses of the St. Maximin of old potentially changing the game. And I thought we played a little bit better in the second half. We had 22 shots in the game. That's an area where we've struggled. But just defensively, Like for for a team managed by a former elite defender like Steve Bruce, from a tactical standpoint, it always shocks me how bad his teams defend, including us right now. Um, It's not that we're a solid defensive unit that's just struggling to score goals. We are a bad defensive unit and we are a bad attacking unit right now.
0: The only team below us in the table who have given up more goals is West Brom. Like that says it all to me, uh, is that we are sitting in 16th and there are four clubs below us. And only one of them has a leakier defense than us this season. And you're right. I think it's a really good point that Steve Bruce obviously knows how to play defense. <laughs> like he did it year after year for Manchester United at the top level. Um, and the the lack of tactics, lack of any sort of kind of game plan, we we've harped on that a lot, but to point out that defensively Newcastle is getting worse and worse this season uh, where under Rafa Benitez, you know, that was maybe the one thing we could hold our hat on was there was no attack, but at least we had a very solid defense and that seemingly really all out the window. So not a lot of positives to take out. You're right, a better second half than we've seen in a while, but not good enough to get a point. So it's it's 11 matches without a victory, and the games don't get easier. It, it never will when you're the worst team in the Premier League on the form table.
1: Yep. Hopefully Graham Jones can make a difference. We'll hear more from Rich on that later. Um, on to Manchester City, a th- thumping 5-0 win on the road today, takes them to the top of the table. Um, they beat West Brom away from home, and now they've won 11 games in a row, Zach. What's your thoughts on Manchester
0: City right now in the form they're in? They are the anti-Newcastle United, 11 games uh, without dropping a point. That's something that I will probably never say about our beloved magpies. And yeah, City, city is really having that resurrection that a lot of people kind of saw start in, it was really late November where they started to catch that form, uh, seemingly not needing a number nine. Gabriel Jesus really still not contributing to that team at near the clip that strikers past have for uh, the citizens. And yet so many goals coming from the midfield, uh, Gunduan, Sterling, Mares, a lot of different players chipping in. It seems like everybody is a goal threat on that team right now. And, Manchester City, best team in the Premier League in the table and the form table. And they are a dangerous, dangerous uh, monster to go up against right now.
1: Yep. I, I totally agree with you. And I love that you called out Gundowan because um, I was going to make a special mention of him there, too. For me, he reminds me of Bernardo Silva a couple seasons ago when he was, you know, in the running for player of the year and just playing so specially. Um, I, I feel like he's in the form of his life currently. You know, he's nine goals on the season. And that's just for the Premier League. That's wild. He scored in cup competitions too. They just find ways to win City right now. They figured out that issue that they had previously, where you know they were tighter at the back, but they weren't really scoring a lot of goals, and they were dropping points as a result. Now they're scoring for fun. It's finally starting to click for City, and that is bad news for the rest of the Premier League. If if I were you right now, if you're listening to this and you're betting, put your house on Manchester Manchester City to win the league this season. I don't see them slipping dramatically like other teams potentially could. They have the talent, and they will continue to pick up wins in the league.
0: It's a good chat. I think that a major injury is the one thing that jars them from the top of the table. Because I agree, I think they are the they're the most complete package that we're seeing uh, in the Premier League right now. And I mean, what an entertaining year it would be if it became a Manchester two-horse race in the last you know three four weeks of the season. Where where do
1: you see an injury hurting them? They have so much strength and depth this season, and you know they defensively that was the concern last year when we lost Laporte. They didn't have a lot of people to back him up. They had to drop Fernandinho back into the center of defense. Now they have Nathan Ake, they have Ruben Diaz, they have John Stones, and Laporte still to come back. Like this this team is deep right now. I I don't think an injury, a couple of injuries, even really hurts them necessarily. The one player I think they'd want to kind of keep. Away from getting injured is Raheem Sterling because I think he makes a lot of things tick for them. Um, yeah, I think even without him, they could probably get
0: through that spell. That yeah, you're right. I mean, they lost the Bruna for extended periods of season and are top of the table. And uh, you're right it would it would t- it would take it would take a wave of injuries to really change how they play as a team. So we yeah we'll see we'll see. Uh, uh, obviously, for good reason, they've got 11, 11 games and haven't dropped a point. Yeah, Before we
1: move on from this one, I just want to kind of highlight um, West Brom and Big Sam. Since they've, since he's arrived at the club, they got that notable draw against Liverpool 1-1. However, their last three home games, 5-0 loss to Leeds, 4-0 loss to Arsenal, and 5-0 loss to Manchester City. Obviously, three great teams. But in those three last home games, they've scored zero goals and conceded 14. Can Big Sam save them, or is this going to be the first time that he takes a team down in the Premier League?
0: it's a matter of, you know, are there three teams that are worse than West Brom, right? Uh, Sheffield United getting that victory against Newcastle and then losing their next match. I I think that they're still dead. Um, Brighton getting a much needed victory in their last match. Fulham have begun to pick up some points. So I I think that West Brom, it's a safe bet to say West Brom will go down. I I don't see them leaving the bottom three.
1: Yep. I I would agree with you. I don't think that, Big Sam is going to save him this season. So, okay, on to our third game here from Tuesday's matches. West Ham with an impressive 3 2 away win at Crystal Palace. Another brace for Thomas Suchek, Zach. That guy's in fantastic form right now. Seven for the season for him.
0: A good friend of mine and friend of a pod, friend of the pod, Johnny Jessup, a big West Ham fan, texted me today and I, I thought you'd appreciate this, Adam, because you. Of all people, will know exactly what he's referencing, and he said, <laughs> he "said Ronaldo, Suchek Messi, in that order." <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thomas Suchek mean, is playing phenomenal football right now, and yeah, just, according to one pundit, better than Lionel Messi.
1: <laughs> wow. No, I mean, I'm maybe he's got more goals than Messi. You
0: keep up with La Liga more than I do. Has he got more goals than Messi this season in the league? Ooh, I don't believe so, but he is—he is really the—the the, you know the central cog of that machine. Rumors have gone around that Bayern Munich are readying a bid for him in the summer, which would be a, a tough loss for West Ham after he came in on loan last season and then they signed him to a permanent deal. But yeah, West Ham up to fourth and uh, their fourth consecutive win in the Premier League—they haven't lost in five. I think that David Moyes does not get nearly enough credit from the media for what he has done with that team coming in to a team that was at one point relegation fodder uh two seasons ago and has really shored the ship has brought in all the right people uh kept declan rice which is obviously huge for them but west ham united is uh, in this crazy crazy topsy-turvy season uh they might be the one club that you might not have expected to be in the top six top seven that they might hang around
1: yeah, West Ham have been really impressive, and this is a West Ham team that on the opening day of the season, Newcastle beat as well. So just
0: crazy crazy to
1: think how our fortunes have changed since that first first game. Um, Palace, on the other hand, five points from 21. Right now in the league, looking at them, they're in 13th on 23 points. They're 11 points clear of safety, but they're not really impressing too much. Do you think Palace have got enough to be safe, Zach?
0: Yeah, I, again, I, I'll just attribute it to there are three worse teams than Crystal Palace in the Premier League. I don't think they have a good season by any means, but I, I think that I think that talk about a manager who can keep a team up. I think Roy Hodgson is a guy who can who can do a job there. So not yep. terribly worried about Palace uh, going down, but yeah, West Ham continues to fly. Now the last match that was played today, a repeat of the FA Cup fixture on the weekend, Arsenal exacting their revenge on Southampton with a three. One victory uh, for Arsenal, it brings them up to eighth in the table. They are actually five unbeaten in the Premier League. They've won two in a row and then have a a draw and two more wins in their last five matches. So despite the ousting in the cup competition that seems like has their name etched on the trophy every year, Arsenal is starting to climb a little bit at 30 points. They're only four points behind Liverpool who sit in fifth. And yeah, we'll have to see. Again, it's so tight in the top half of the table that really anything can happen at the moment.
1: Yep. The Arsenal haters for Mikel Arteta have quietened their their voices recently in the last few weeks. So it's good to see, you know, it, 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 Gus will talk about it a little bit later in his interview. But this, this is, you know, potentially what happens when you write it out with a manager through the hard times, right? Can he turn that corner? And they gave him the opportunity to do that. And he's done so, and it, you know it's not it's not over yet. You know he could he could potentially slip away again. But looking at the table now, three points behind Spurs, four points behind Liverpool. Granted, those two teams have some games in hand. It, it's looking up for Arsenal right now. They're 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 starting to kind of click together. But Saka, as we talked about, is a player that we'd want them to build that team around. Today, scored a
0: goal, had an assist. Crisis, what crisis, Zach? Exactly, third best. Uh, third or excuse me, fourth best defense in the Premier League Arsenal. They've had all the goal scoring troubles in the world. You just mentioned Sako getting a goal, so not him, obviously, but uh, that defense has been shored up. And I agree with you. I think that th- that is a big thing that Gus harps on in his analysis of the Lampard firing is the importance of riding it out with a manager through. Uh, a little bit of a rough patch, and that's what Arsenal seemingly is doing, and and getting rewarded here. I think if they if they get European football, it's a successful season for them. So, Absolutely. yeah, I've yeah, I I think that they will as well. I think that Arsenal will continue to climb the table because I think that Mikel Arteta is a fantastic manager in the making.
1: Yep, I agree. I think he's the right answer for Arsenal, even though some fans doubted him for a while, he's showing now that he can he can turn it around, which is great. And you know you have to go through these difficult times as a manager to really appreciate what it takes to get out of them and to turn the corner and bring the good times back. So credit to you, Mikel Arteta. Adams, stamp of approval for the week. It's been a while since we've had is. those, but there, give him that shout out. All right. Um, before we take a quick commercial break, I'm going to give you your second clue for EPL trivia this week. Zach, are you ready? Let's do it. All right, just as a reminder, in case you're kind of catching up halfway through the pod here, our first question was, which former player holds the record for most Premier League own goals with a total of 10 in his career? So 10 own goals in his Premier League career, this player. Clue for you, Zach, this player is also tied for the most red cards in Premier League history in a career. And he's tied with two other players, the two other players or Patrick Vieira, Duncan Ferguson, and this player all have eight total red cards in the Premier League in their careers.
0: Very interesting. Okay. All right.
1: Any any ideas yet, or are you still hoping for another clue here at the end?
0: I'm thinking defender. I'm thinking center back because uh, Vieira and Ferguson both uh, – what position did Ferguson play? Vieira was a center defensive mid. Big Dunk was a striker for the tune, my friend.
1: Yeah, he was never a striker, and then signed for Newcastle as a center forward. So um,
0: okay, yep. But 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 the association with red cards could be anywhere on the pitch. Uh, oh, absolutely. Whereas,
1: yeah.
0: Own own goal. Okay, I I have. There are a couple. There are a couple of names brewing. I'm gonna wait for your third clue, though. I'm not confident enough to to come out like last time and and say that I'm I'm locked in. Okay, sounds good. Well, we
1: will see if you can go two for two this week, Zach, with with another correct answer for this EPL trivia. Uh, Right now, we're gonna go go take a commercial break. Uh, We'll be back right after this. All right, welcome back to The False Nines. Um, We're gonna roll into our interviews now. Really excited to be able to introduce uh, my friend, Richard Smith, coming at us all the way from England in the UK fresh in lockdown uh, with his beautiful girlfriend, Leanne had nothing better to do than join me on The False Nines. I was happy to get to, to chat with him um, yesterday evening. So Rich is gonna talk to us a little bit about Graham Jones. As I mentioned at the start of the pod, Graham Jones, is a, a, currently an AFC Bournemouth first team coach um, who Newcastle are planning to bring in. Steve Bruce is dressing this one up as a, I've got a lot of coaches right now that are under the weather with COVID, blah, 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 blah. So I need to bring somebody in when everybody really knows that this is an attempt for him to come in and have some sort of semblance of organization and potentially save his job. So Rich is gonna talk a little bit about his experience with um, Graham Jones as manager of his team Luton town last season tell us the good the bad and the ugly Um, and we'll go ahead and lead straight into that now all right welcome to a special edition of the false nines I'm here with friend of the pod Richard Smith say hello Richard
2: hi Adam and everyone else listening
1: yeah great to have you on today Um, the reason we have Richard here with us today is because believe it or not there are avid Luton fans out there is that not correct sir
2: Uh, there's a few of us we we try and make ourselves vocal
1: (laughs) and with being an avid Luton fan Rich has intimate knowledge of a gentleman who is on the verge of joining Newcastle this week as a coach Graham Jones he's currently at AFC Bournemouth but he was at Luton Town last season as their first team manager so Newcastle right now in talks to get permission to have him return to the northeast he is from Gateshead He is Newcastle born and bred Um, just six months after linking up with Jason Tindall at AFC Bournemouth. He's now potentially making the move to Newcastle to help out an ailing Steve Bruce. So Rich, that's why we wanted to get you on today. We wanted to get your insider knowledge on Graham Jones. I think the first question we have for you today is from a Luton fan perspective, tell us about his time as manager of your club.
2: Okay. So um, Jones took over, um, at the start of what was the 2019, 2020 season. Um, That was our first season back in the championship for quite a long period of time. Um, Nathan Jones had left us the previous season to go to Stoke. So uh, yeah, we needed a new manager and he came with a a good reputation as a coach. Um, He'd worked with Roberto Martinez at Swansea, Wigan, Everton, and even at the Belgium national side as well. So, you know, he's got good experience of coaching top class players. Um, so we were quite optimistic. It was his first managerial position. So um, it was a bit of a gamble in some respects because he was an unknown quantity from a managerial perspective. But um, yeah, we went into it with a bit of, uh, sort of optimism. You know, he's got contacts in the game um we might be able to get some players either on the cheap or uh some loan deals so yeah we were optimistic um the optimism didn't last very long um (laughs) (laughs) yeah here we started off well i mean first game of the season we drew three all with middlesbrough with a game live on sky and it was an absolute incredible game to watch it had everything um really entertaining both teams playing really good football, but it sort of went downhill um, from there. <laughs> we we won a few games, but um, before Christmas, we went on a losing streak. We lost 12 games in a row, which was the longest losing streak in our history. Um, and, you know, he, he then started losing the fans. And it wasn't just because of... Um, what would you say? It wasn't because of the performances as such. It was it was how we lost the games and the excuses he'd come out with. He kept calling us little Luton. Yes, we were a small fish in a big pond. Um, we don't have the resources and the players that some of the other clubs in the championship have. But we used to be a bigger club, and you know we have our history. Um, we're certainly passionate and we don't like being called Little Luton. So to hear that from your own manager was, um, didn't endear him to the fans. Um, and interesting. The-
1: interesting. Do you think that was kind of um, something to try and motivate them? Was, he, was, he, was it just a really bad decision on his part in terms of how best to motivate the players by demeaning a little bit and trying to, to kind of bring them up a little bit so they would be Big Luton? Or do you feel like he just didn't have the right? skills to make that call
2: i think part of it might have been to try and motivate the players a bit thinking you know you're underdogs pretty much in every game um but at the same time i think it was also an excuse just to constantly remind the media that we don't have the budget you know we don't have the playing staff we don't have the facilities of some of these other clubs so i think it was a bit of both but I don't think it worked on both counts. Um, he He really lost the fan base. Um, we played Brentford away and lost seven nil and he failed to acknowledge the away fans who stayed through that defeat before he left the ground. He didn't even walk over and thank them, apologize. He just walked off and and from then on. Every time we lost, he was straight down the tunnel, no acknowledging the fans. So
1: hmm.
2: after it sounds, a while, we didn't really have a good relationship with him.
1: It does sound eerily reminiscent of some of the traits that we're seeing at Newcastle with Steve Bruce right now. I mean, a couple of weeks ago in the press, Steve Bruce came out and said that Newcastle's um, last performance, and I, and I quote Steve Bruce, was absolute shite. <laughs> and <laughs> that that's... An interesting way to motivate your players, and I, I almost feel like these two might be a match made in heaven in some ways because there seems to be a lot of um, poor attempts to motivate teams and lack of taking of responsibility for the actions of what's happening on the field. So that that kind of leads me into my to my next question. It, obviously we, we know what happened from a Luton perspective in, in that season you you were able to stay up and what one thing maybe you can clarify for me is Graham Jones did he did he last the whole season or was he let go before the end of the season
2: no he was he was let go um, just after um, Christmas of that season oh okay uh, so, so about January 2020 mm-hmm. um, it was actually um, I think when the the pandemic started to hit um obviously we weren't playing any games at the time so it was almost a good point to let him go um obviously results weren't going that well um we were rock bottom and obviously for for us financially we needed to survive Mm -hmm. um and our previous manager Nathan jones had also been sacked by stoke Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a chance of getting him back and you know he he did well for us in the past so the management were willing to give him another shot um he'd jones had started to turn things around a bit they were getting slightly better performances we weren't linking leaking as many goals but he certainly didn't look like he was going to keep us up
1: yeah i would say based on that run of fixtures and the fact that you lost to a really good Brentford side, obviously, um, last season. And again, this season, 7-0 is, is still a pretty, pretty good hiding um, in yeah. whatever division that you're in. So I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Do, do you feel like Graham Jones is more suited to a management role or do you think that he could be more impactful in a coaching role?
2: I mean, someone like that doesn't last long at a big club if they're not a good coach and to have worked under martinez at successful spells at wigan relatively successful at everton swansea um and to be working for a belgian national side there's got he's got to be a good coach to in to be able to stay in those positions for however long he did um as a manager i don't think he's quite cut out for it um he was playing a lot of players out of position. Um he said he'd rather win 10-9 than keep a clean sheet.
1: Interesting.
2: So, uh, okay. As Newcastle struggled to keep clean sheets. Um
1: <laughs> We've got the not <laughs> keeping a clean sheet 10-9. bit down. We just got the not the scoring of 10 goals might be problematic for us, I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um he also he would um play sort of strange tactics. Um, you know, there was this big push from managers to try and pass out of defense and play out from the back. And when you've got great players, you can do that. Um it soon became evident our defenders were not capable of doing it. They're not the quality, they're not they haven't got the time on the ball. Um but he still persisted with it, even though they'd make mistakes and it would lead to conceding goals. Mm -hmm. So you know he didn't he didn't grasp onto that quickly and and change it. So that's what you want in a manager. Just pick out those weaknesses and, and get them out of your side. Um, yeah, he he brought in a loan signing called Izzy Brown from Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's a good player. I'm not going to lie, but he's a luxury player. He's a sort of lazy number 10. So he won't track back. But when he gets the ball, he will create chances. But when you're scrapping at the bottom, you need hard work all over the pitch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: absolutely. And he was his man, really. And after a while, he came out with comments like, we will get relegated without him in the side, Um, which, you know, is a bold thing to say. And you're also going to demoralize your squad by basically saying none of you are good enough. We need him to keep us up. And it just went to show that when Nathan Jones came in, he didn't actually play Izzy Brown that much and we ended up staying up. So yeah, he's not the best at management. Um, He's not good in front of the press. Uh,
1: yeah, and I uh, think those those uh, are things that I don't think necessarily he'll be asked to do at Newcastle, right? So
2: No, so as a coach, I think maybe given the styles that he wants to play, you know, you look at the way that Wigan, um, Swansea, and the Belgium side play, they play quite open, expansive football, mm-hmm. or they did, at least under Roberto Martinez. So maybe given better quality players, that sort of coaching and those tactics might work. But at the level that our players had come, just come up from League One, it was never really going to work with the players we've got.
1: So it's fair to say then that you think that his real impact will be from an offensive standpoint? You think going forward is where he's being hired to help out on the team, not from a defensive standpoint?
2: Um, potentially. He certainly got us passing the ball around. He's He was focused a lot on keeping the ball moving, possession football um, which we were quite good at but from an offensive point of view I'm not sure I can't couldn't really comment because obviously we didn't score a lot of goals because so we were down the bottom right but part of that can be down to quality that we had sure although having said that we've not signed any more strikers this season and we're mid-table so I think mm, I think it was a mixture of his tactics and the the players we had were not a marriage made in heaven.
1: So uh, last question then I'll ask you Rich. Mm. How do you think that his appointment might impact Newcastle's season? Right now we are 7 points clear of the relegation zone. We've won we've um won haven't won in eight games. Um we've sorry, we've we've scored one goal in eight games and we've lost our last five games, which is the worst run of form since 2015 under John Carver. It's it's pretty much rock bottom right now in terms of form. And do, do you think that this will impact us in a positive way at all?
2: Um I wouldn't expect him to transform your season. I okay. can't see him turn turning you around. Um I think Newcastle's problems are well-documented from the owner down to even Bruce himself says he's not a man for tactics. Um, and I hate that quote. Graham Jones <laughs> wasn't really a man for tactics either, um, nor really a good motivator judging by some of the comments that he made about our squad. And so maybe he can get you playing, whether it's better passing or whatever, but I can't see him being the answer to your season.
1: Well, there you have it. That is the uh, the opinion of a, a fan who knows this gentleman well um, at Luton, uh, Mr. Richard Smith. Thank you for your time today. W- one last question before you go, Rich. We'd like to ask this to all of our guests here on Coming Home Newcastle. If you could go back in time to watch any Luton match live, which one would it be and why?
2: Um, it's quite an easy one. Um, I was four years old, uh, 1988. Littlewoods cup final against Arsenal. Uh, we were massive underdogs, um, at the old Wembley. Uh, we were two, one down with about 10 minutes to go. Um, we won three, two, we saved a penalty as well. Um, and that remains our one major trophy that we've won. So to go and watch that would be pretty immense. Um, if I, had to, if I had to watch a Newcastle game, um, <laughs> although they lost, I'd like to go and watch the famous Liverpool-Newcastle 4-3 of the late 90s. Uh,
1: Stan Collymore, Keegan, yeah,
2: I remember that one. Uh, with Keegan, that was one. I watched it live on Sky, and it was a hell of a game. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd pretty much like to go and watch that.
1: Yep, I remember that one well. It was a good one. And the Littlewoods Cup, that's now the League Cup,
2: correct? Yeah, the Carabao Cup, they change the sponsorship every few years.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, that's more than we've won in the last 50, 60 years, Rich, so fair play to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for your time. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, always good to have regular listeners of the pod um, join us for, for interviews. So hopefully we'll get to chat to you again.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Some great insights from Rich there on Graham Jones. Thanks again for coming on, Rich. Always a pleasure to speak with you. I'm going to turn it over to you now, Zach. Um, I know you've got a really exciting interview lined up for us too.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely bringing back the the old man, Gus, the, the man who started it all with me on SoundCloud when we were getting at best five listens per episode. <laughs> so uh, yeah, again, just reminding folks, Gus is going to be talking about the recent firing of Frank Lampard, the club legend, from the managerial position at Chelsea. A lot of drama around this firing. I think probably the most covered by the media firing in a long while. And uh, Gus has some very choice words to say about how this all went down. So I will toss it over to him. Well, thank you for hopping on the phone with me today. Uh, I guess to start out, why don't you just kind of run us through how how did we get to this point? Because I feel as though a lot of people for a number of months have said, how safe is Lampard's job? But um, I, I think a, l- a lot of folks were shocked that especially after an FA Cup win on the weekend, the firings happen now. So kind of give us the timeline here. How, how did we get to the point at which the club legend has been ousted? So to me, it's it's almost in three parts, right?
3: Because over the summer, they buy all the players they bought and immediately the expectations rise. Now, in the first, you know, two, three, four weeks of the season, we were kind of inconsistent. Um, And then we went on that great run of form where we didn't lose in like 17 games, which took us to the beginning of December. And, you know, we won our Champions League group. We, I think, drew with Sevilla and beat them home and away, Um, including Giroud, had four goals in that game. Um, And it looked like Lampard kind of had it figured out. But then Timo Werner can't find a goal. Kai Havertz has COVID and therefore is not the player that he could be because he's physically still recovering from that disease both of them are new players in a new country in like during a pandemic so you have to think that maybe outside pressure could just be a little bit much for them right now and then the whole team just takes a dip in forms Zek gets hurt uh, Kovacic doesn't look as good as he did last year when he was our player of the year. Um, you know, we kind of can't really figure out what's going on at striker because we try Werner on the left playing off of Tammy or, uh, Giroux because there has been injuries and Pulisic is out and the team just takes a nosedive in form and it brings us to where we are today, where apparently the sacking was decided after the Leicester loss and Chelsea just kind of had to get everything in order. Um, Now, (laughs) I think that this is the absolute wrong thing to do in this situation for so many reasons. Um, First of all, you have to take into account the impact of the pandemic as a whole. Like you played, basically, you pl- you played most of the season last year, then you stopped for two or three months, totally, right? And then you start playing again over the summer. Games are condensed. The players aren't as fit. As a result, recruitment season, quick, preseason, quick. Nobody's really, like, up to task. Everyone's playing really, really tired. And so I don't think it's really – that fair to judge Lampard's performance under this season as a result. I think that any manager would struggle in this kind of situation. We see you know, Klopp in the injuries that they've had uh, at center back in Liverpool, and they can't buy a goal right now either. Um, but Klopp isn't going to get fired. Another reason I think Frank shouldn't have been fired is because he has for all intents and purposes hit all the goals that the board has laid out for him, which have widely been reported as getting top four last year, which he did with a team of kids and bringing those kids through from the academy to be first team regulars, right? First team regulars in the team right now are Reese James, um, Mason Mount, obviously, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Tammy Abraham, I'm sure I'm missing a couple others. And so there's at least four right there who are immediately bang. Even if they're not Chelsea quality, they're not going to be like pushing on into Champions League and league dominance. You know, you can at least get a hefty price for them so you can buy other players. Right. So he's hit that goal. Right. First year couldn't have done better, especially with that transfer ban. Now, because of the expenditure over the summer, the goals have kind of shifted. The goalposts literally shifted because when Frank was hired, he said, we're not gonna challenge for the title until 2021, right? Until that league season. And all of a sudden we go on a run of form this year and all of a sudden we're world beaters and we take a small dip in form in December not a small dip in form, a massive dip in form. But all of a sudden he's out of a job. And I think it's extremely harsh to Frank Lampard, not even considering the fact that he's a club legend. I think that any manager would find it difficult now. And given the fact that he was under so much scrutiny and pressure last year and he succeeded, and then to go basically only – a month of really bad football and say Frank's not the one for the job i think it i think it's incredibly harsh
0: one sentiment that i'm i've been seeing you know in the last 5 or 6 hours around uh, football media is that perhaps frank lampard needs some more experience before being in a role of that magnitude however that doesn't mean that Firing him so he can get that experience is a fair cop-out if you've already given him that job. Essentially saying that you've taken the risk on Frank Lampard from a managerial perspective, and by firing him and saying, you know what, he the job is a bit too big for him right now, is essentially admitting that that you as a Chelsea boarder, Roman Abramovich, is at fault. Do you think that that's a fair way of assessing how this has kind of played out? I think it's a completely fair way
3: to assess it, but I, I know that's not what people will think. And I know that's what the media at large will not peddle. Um, I think that, I mean, look, everyone's talking about tactically this year, Chelsea does not look good. That's because, like I said, COVID, lots of injuries, rotation, playing in four different competitions, of which we're still in three, by the way, right? League, Champions League, and FA Cup. Won our Champions League group, just beat Luton in the FA Cup um obviously we're not going to win the league but I mean to still be in three competitions and all of a sudden you know it it just seems it seems like the board just I don't know just kind of screwed the pooch on this one I think and I think a lot of that is from the sources in the club that talk to the reporters at the athletic I think that's 100% 100% a lot of it because they are putting out these stories that should be kept internal in Chelsea and they're not they're public and it just creates more of a media fear more you know just pressure under the job for both the players and the coach you know like everybody reads this stuff now if if you do, if you think that a manager or a player says in a press conference I don't read the media hype. I don't buy it. 99 times out of 100, they're lying to you. And it just creates a toxic environment that the club allows to happen because they're the ones who give this information to the guys who cover Chelsea for The Athletic. And, I mean, look at look at the front page of, of any soccer news aggregator today. There's like five, five articles by The Athletic, about this Chelsea firing. They've got it covered wall to wall. They got reasons. They got who's coming in next because they know what's going to happen and it's going to drive clicks, right? And it's ju- it just seems like the club is sabotaging itself. I, it's it's really frustrating to be a Chelsea fan who lived through the glory years, so to speak, from 2003 till two 2000- thousand. I, you know, 15, 20, you know, so what, 12 years. And we get this club legend manager and he does everything you ask for him to do last season. Does it under constraints that any manager would find difficult? And six months into this season, he's sacked. It's not, it's not a good look. And the players need to look at themselves in the face and 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 say we didn't try hard enough for frank lampard arguably chelsea's greatest ever player so who could we possibly try hard for like this is something that meant something not only to i mean it meant something to frank and it and and i find it extremely hard to believe that somehow that translation wasn't made and the players just gave up like if that's the case, and it's been the case at Chelsea for a long time, and I will say Frank Lampard as a player somewhat cultivated that, you know, basically down tools and say, like, I'm not playing well until the manager goes, which happened with Scolari, Villas, uh, you know, countless others, probably Mourinho the first time around. Um and these players, you know, they they know that the manager is more replaceable than them, and it's it's been the case at Chelsea forever because they just fire anybody. But it seems to work, so I don't know.
0: I don't know, I don't know what I'm complaining about. <laughs> <laughs> well, so looking forward, a lot of reports coming out from from the Athletic, from other news sites, that Thomas Tuchel, the now former manager of PSG. Uh, is being lined up as Frank's replacement. Nothing has been confirmed by either Tuchel or Chelsea. However, this seems to be something that has some legs behind it. Uh, if that that you know the the oncoming manager comes in from from France, what what do you expect with Tuchel? What are you looking at his style? of play and what he's done in the past. Do you have any expectations or is it a little bit of a a mystery to, to you and Chelsea supporters as to what you might expect? I mean, he's a complete mystery to me. The only
3: games I can ever say that I fully watched, you know, the entire game of were probably the PSG semifinal and final last year. So, I got I've, I've got no expectations for the dude if I mean if we're picking like a German manager just for like because we have German players' sakes, I don't know it seems it seems i'm not I'm nonplussed by this signing if he's the manager i don't i don't i don't I don't think he's particularly special in any way and i I will be pleasantly surprised if he does anything with this squad that Frank Lampard couldn't have done or has done, which means finish top four, get to an FA Cup final,
0: etc. So then what, what are your expectations uh, for the remainder of this season? Expectations and hopes, because switching a manager midway through the campaign obviously kind of changes the landscape here. Uh, as a Chelsea fan, what are you – What realistically, what are you hoping that comes of this season? Champions League qualification, FA cup title, where, where is your mind at? I mean, the thing is the,
3: the league is so close right now. It's the closest it's been at, you know, around this time of the year. And, you know, for as long as I can remember. And I mean, as a result, I think you gotta be looking at a top four finish. Like if, if, if Tuchel can come in and just rattle off the wins, like just just keep them coming, then it's then it's great. But I don't I don't see if he can like that's down to him tactically, tactically drilling these players into exactly how he wants them to be because we know that the players are quality, right? Like you you can't doubt Giroud's quality, you can't doubt um, Mount's quality, you can't doubt Thiago Silva's quality, like these players are good players. And, and so if Tuchel, if Tuchel doesn't get them like firing on all cylinders, it's, it's a failure to be quite honest. And, and not only because he's not succeeding, but because you sacked him or you sacked Frank Lampard for another manager, who's just doing the exact same thing that
0: Frank would have been doing. Last question here before I let you go, Gus. Uh, Rafa Benitez this weekend ended his time managing uh, Dahlia in China. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Do you wish that Chelsea maybe had had some discussions with Rafa prior to uh, making this firing? No way. No way.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know you love Rafa up in up in the Northeast, but I mean yeah he was our coach but i, I didn't particularly
0: like it okay <laughs> i i had to slip that one in there but uh i i understand yeah. with, with the attacking flair that chelsea has rafa benitez might not be the most attractive manager to take on at the moment uh but yeah we'll, we'll have, have to do a job it. yeah we'll, we'll have to yeah. see what happens with chelsea the rest of the year gus i appreciate you uh, hopping on the line with me and yeah, we will see if Tuchel can, can take Chelsea up the, up the standings. Or if, you know, if this firing comes back as, you know, an infamous moment in Chelsea history. Mark my words,
3: they'll peter out for the rest of the season. Tuchel will do nothing. We'll be looking for a new manager in the summer.
0: All right, Gus, thank you for hopping on the phone with me and sharing your gripes about the state of Chelsea, football club at the moment. Uh, I feel so sorry for you that you have to support a team that is in the top of the table. I'm just kidding. It was a very, very bad decision by Roman Abramovich. Uh, Anyway, we will close it out here, Adam, with 10 and 90. I know that you wanted to go first today. Any particular reason why?
1: Yeah, right off the back of that Gus interview, um, I've prepared a Frank Lampard, true or false, um, kind of ninety set of questions for you here today some some facts facts based some a little bit more on the fun side so you got a 50 50 shot of getting these right zach true or false you ready
0: yes let's get let's get after it all right question number
1: one frank lampard has over 100 full international caps for england true or false
0: false 100 is a lot i don't think i don't think he has 100 it's true. Frank Lampard Ooh. has 106
1: caps for England. Ooh. And 29 goals.
0: Does he have the most caps
1: for England? Uh, you know what? I'm not sure about that. I don't think so. I think there'll probably be okay.
0: more than he did. I wonder, but... I wonder who would be higher. Maybe John Terry. Maybe, uh, yeah. i right. will look that up. up.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Question number two. Lampard only went out on loan once in his career to Cardiff City.
0: <laughs> um. Let's go with true again.
1: This one's false, Zach. You're 0 for 2 so far. He okay. did go out only once on loan in his career for nine games total in 1995, but not to Cardiff City, to Swansea City.
0: <laughs> oh, darn. I really tripped up there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just wanted an excuse to get some wash teams in there. So whatever. Yeah, that's right. Alf. Okay. Yep. Okay. Question number three Lampard started more games for Chelsea. Than Steven Gerrard did for Liverpool in the Premier League.
0: That's that's a good one. Um, let me think about this. I'm gonna say false, and my line of reasoning is he Frank Lampard did leave Chelsea eventually, whereas Steven Gerrard did not. So that's my logic.
1: Yep, you're absolutely right. Yeah, he went to NYCFC for a season as well. And City so, um, first. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Lampard played 429 games for Chelsea. Gerrard played just over 500. So considerable amount more for Gerrard. However, Lampard scored 27 more goals in his Premier League career than Gerrard did.
0: Hmm. Okay. Oh, that is that's a considerable amount more. So that is interesting.
1: Yep. For two goal scoring midfielders, both who take penalties. Yeah. 27 more is a is a large number. Okay. uh, Question number four. Frank Lampard is the nephew of Harry Redknapp.
0: It has to be true. I like what's the point of me saying false? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's absolutely true. Yeah. So, uh, his cousin is former player Jamie Rednap. Jamie well. Redknapp, Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, they're nice. The, our cousins. He came through the, um, originally, I think through the West Ham Academy, um, Lampard, or at least had some links to West Ham's Academy. No, he did. No, he, he absolutely did come through the West Ham Academy. Yep. Under, under Harry Redknapp. Okay. Question number five. You're not doing too hot here. What are you two? You're
0: two for four. That's not terrible.
1: Okay. See if you can better 50%. Here's your your fun one. Since retiring, Frank Lampard has written a number of children's
0: books. Oh man. Uh, Um, I'm going to really overthink this one. I'm going to say false, and I'm going to say he's written books, but they haven't been children's books.
1: <laughs> uh, it's actually true. Frank Lampard has published 18 books in a slot called Frankie's Magic Football.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. You wow. Okay. Yeah, I do need to look that up.
1: Um, it's it's pretty pretty good, apparently. Yeah, he's uh, he's been very successful with the books, too. They've had a lot of people purchase them. Yeah. I love that. So okay. there you go not sure if Gus knew that one. If you're listening,
0: Gus, let us know if you oh, want well, Oh, Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have to ask him.
1: <laughs> All right. Final question for you, as always, is a Walsh word for the day. Please pronounce this for me, Zach. Uh, I'm going for two pods in a row where we're going to have no vowels in the word. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Y-S-G-W-Y-D-D. Y-S-G-W-Y-D-D. I wish listeners could see his face right now just as he's like scrunching up his face. Trying just try to like
0: like out. visualize those letters. Y-S-G-W-Y-D-D. Eskid.
1: One more time.
0: Eskid. It's a squid. Us-quith. Usquith. usquith? Oh my god, there are so many letters that aren't in that word. That's incredible. Uh and any idea what it means? Uh that word means sacked.
1: No, th- this was a random word just to try. And oh, square. I, thought I,
0: I, I would... immediately thought of that right at the beginning. I was like, it was okay. yeah, my shoulder, like the chip on my shoulder I have now. Okay, yeah, all right. That's that's. I'm not mad that I didn't get the meaning of your <laughs> word. I'm just
1: getting meaner and meaner as I go through the podcast. I mean, I'm
0: fine. Like the fact that I got it one time is that's all I need to hang my hat on. Um, yeah. yeah. <sighs> okay. Um. All right, Adam. So. From my my 1090 went with a theme as well. Uh, Now, Adam, what day is it today? Tell me the date on the calendar.
1: I so desperately wanted to say hump day, uh, but it is not. It is the 26th of January.
0: It is the 26th of January. Now, December 12th was the last day that Newcastle, Newcastle won, won a match. <laughs> it was when we defeated Bright, or West Brom 2-1 in the Premier League. That was over six weeks. It was actually exactly six weeks ago. So for my theme today, I went back through the history books and looked at what are some notable events in human history that have occurred on the 12th of December? <laughs> okay. This is an interesting theme. This one has nothing to do with football, and that's why I said it earlier. It's, it's really out there. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll give you the year, and then I will ask you a question, and you will tell me what the answer is. This is just general trivia about things that have occurred on December 12th in years past. You ready? All right. Fantastic. Let's do it. Okay. Adam, in the year 1800, what city was established as the capital of the United States of America? Oh, good Lord.
1: 1800 Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i have no idea i'm gonna go with washington dc
0: washington dc is correct i I wanted to sort of trick question there. i I (laughs) did that was a trick question for sure because i wanted you to say philadelphia that's what i was hoping you would you would go after i was Um, thinking
1: about it with the liberty bell because i've seen it and yeah Mm.
0: It is the former capital of the United States before Washington D.C., but that was the year that Washington became the capital of the United States. Now we're going to go with ultimately or essentially the same question here, Adam. I'm really testing your geography knowledge. Uh, In the year 1911, 111 years later, what city replaced Calcutta as the capital of India? Oh, geez. Do you know cities and in India? We'll go for New Delhi. Ooh, it is Delhi. It did not become New Delhi until later in its existence. <laughs> oh, come on. You got to give me that one. <laughs> you got that. You were two for two. <laughs> that was quite good. Quite good. Um, right. Okay. It's off to a fast start. Let's see if you can keep it up here. It's going to get a little bit harder. Uh, in the year 1946, what modern U.S. household staple was introduced to the general public? I'll say that again for you, Adam. Here's oh, 1946. What modern, so so currently, a US household staple was introduced to the general public?
1: You gotta give me some clues. That's a very broad question.
0: It is something that you re you you stock up on every probably every month or so. Let's go with toilet paper. Not a bad guess. Tide detergent was introduced to the general public <laughs> in 1946, but well, for cleaning purposes. So you you weren't far away.
1: Yeah, Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I like that. Tide pods came a lot later, as you will know, as a bullet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's true. Um, okay, Adam, this one uh, is gonna is gonna get a little closer to home for you. So the year was 1965, and the Beatles performed their last concert ever in Great Britain in which welsh venue was this concert held really their last performance was in wales yes
1: good lord i will go with cardiff international arena because
0: that seems like the most logical place i don't know anything about cardiff but i assume that you were as close as you could have come it was held in the Capitol theater in cardiff
1: okay that they're not the same place but Yes, it's in Cardiff, so.
0: Yeah, okay. I, figured, I, was, I, I was thinking it must be must be Cardiff or Swansea, right? Are there other cities in Wales?
1: Yeah, no, there are other cities in Wales, including the one I'm from, Camarthen Town. Come on. Camarth- Camar-
0: <laughs> you name a place that has the word town in its name as another city in Wales. I'm claiming it as a city. There's a few thousand <laughs> people, all right? a small that country. That was brilliant. Um, okay, all right. No, you were close on that. So you're, you're two for three now, or- uh, I guess two, two for four now. so can you break 50% uh, as you challenge me to do on your fifth question? And Adam, you're in luck here because this actually is the one football-related question I will ask you today. In the year 2002, what footballer was named best football player in Europe for a second time in his career ahead of Real Madrid left-back Roberto Carlos and Bayern Munich goalkeeper Oliver Kahn?
1: We're talking about way back now.
0: Best footballer in
1: Europe, you said?
0: Yes. Best football in Europe for the second time, ahead of Roberto Carlos and Oliver Kahn. It's funny that you say we're, we're talking way back when I give you the most recent question on the list.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of like who was, who was big at that time. I'm going to go with um, Rivaldo for Barcelona.
0: Oh, Adam, you were, you were two letters away. It was Ronaldo, Ronaldo. winning... His second ever best football player in Europe award uh, ahead of his countryman, Roberto Carlos and German goalkeeping legend, Oliver Kahn. Yeah.
1: Uh, Close, but no cigar, my friend.
0: In the same year that Brazil won their last world cup. So there you go.
1: That was my thinking as well. So,
0: oh, well, next time. That was fun.
1: (laughs) It was. All right. We're (laughs) going to wrap it up here. I'm going to get back at you with some trivia of my own, our EPL trivia question for the week. Reminder for listeners. Our original question was which former player holds the record for most Premier League own goals with a total of 10 in his career. Our midway through the pod clue was this player is also tied for the most red cards in Premier League history with eight. And he's tied with Patrick Vieira and Duncan Ferguson. And here's your final clue, Zach. This Irishman's former Premier League.
0: Oh no. (laughs) That ruined all my
1: guesses. (laughs) This Irishman's former Premier League clubs include Everton, Manchester City and Aston Villa
0: oh no I'm scrambled uh Irishman Everton Manchester City Aston Villa
1: one more clue for you he played for them in that order
0: okay can you tell me generally when he played you don't have to give me exact years but what decade
1: Yep, he played primarily his games in the 2000 to 2010 spell.
0: Okay. Everton, then Manchester City, then Villa. And I'll give you one more clue as you're struggling. I I, 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 am. Do you want to hear who I was going to say? Before you gave me that clue, I was thinking Vidic or Roy Keane. And when you said. When you said Irish, I was like, hell yeah. And then you described what teams you played for, and I was like, fuck.
1: <laughs> so, Roy Keane for red cards would be a good shout. Um, yeah.
0: yeah,
1: Not as many as Vieira. And Vieira and Keane were very, very fierce rivals back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's your last clue. You, you correctly, when you were trying to hazard a guess earlier on in the pod, said that this player was a central defender. He was Ooh. a central defender, Irish Former clubs include Everton, Manchester City, and Villa. Lots of own goals, lots of red cards. That's as many clues as I can give you, my friend.
0: No, that's that's totally fair. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really failing to, to come up with an I, I, an Irish centre back who played for City, Everton, and Villa. Your listeners are screaming the answer right now. <laughs> um. I'm gonna give myself five seconds. I don't want to hold everyone up here. Five, four,
1: three, two, one. What's your answer?
0: I got nothing. Who is it? Richard Dunn. That not not an answer I would have gotten. Yeah, that's okay. I can I can deal with that. I, I... <laughs> you, slowly you lead into the microphone. Vincent Company. <laughs>
1: <laughs> company most definitely not an Irishman, so no, yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, did play for Manchester City, so you're closer. Yeah, uh, so I Richard Dunn was the answer for this week. Hopefully, you all had fun playing at home. To wrap the pod this week, we're going to go into games that we're looking forward to this weekend. Three games. I'll start because I kind of want to <laughs> say this before it's before the weekend, so I'm skirting it a little bit. But I'm really excited for it. Thursday night is Spurs versus Liverpool's at.
0: That's going to be, that is going to be a good one. Uh, also, everton Leicester is probably, you know, when this comes out, if not before people are listening, that's a midweek one I'm excited for. But yeah, Spurs-Liverpool, two teams that need a win to stay in the title race.
1: Exactly, yeah. Spurs right now sitting on 18 games, 33 points. Liverpool, 19 games, 34 points. So, would be a big one for, um, for Jose Mourinho to win. And then, I'd say other ones I'm looking forward to, um, why, don't, why don't you go bud? What, what what are you looking forward to this weekend?
0: Liverpool, West Ham, that'll be a great one. West Ham currently ahead of Liverpool in the table and I think that'll be a real test for how high can West Ham shoot uh, this year. I'd say that, that one is one I'm particularly excited for. Uh, besides that, I would say... Uh, Lester Leeds, could be that could be a goal scoring fest. I, like yeah. that has the potential, and I feel like I've been off the mark with predictions of high scoring and low scoring games a lot this season. But I think that one could get stretched really quickly. So I'm I'm excited for that one.
1: Yeah, one one I'm I'm really excited for is Arsenal versus Manchester United. I think that truly will be a high scoring game. How far has Arteta come? Um, obviously Solskjaer is riding high right now in second place in the league, just not Liverpool out of the cup. Arteta's in fine form, two teams in form. Something's got to give there. It's going to be an exciting game.
0: The one thing I'm glad about this weekend is that Newcastle Everton, the Saturday 530 AM mountain time fixture. This is one I'll be asleep dead through the entire match, which is, uh, it'll be great to wake up, have my coffee and get to, to see how much we lost by, uh, on the weekend.
1: If I wake up and the game is still on, I will turn it on. I will not be setting my alarm to wake up at five thirty on there a Saturday to watch us lose to Everton at Goodison.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Not a Sorry, listeners. Well, we'll we'll wrap it up with uh, this episode, the sixtieth. Again, if you want some more uh, coming home Newcastle content, check us out on Twitter at C H N Podcasts. Uh, you can find me somewhere linked on that page. Um, And yeah, any last words today, Adam? Anything left for the listeners? I don't think so. I think my last
1: word as always,
0: Zach, is footy. Footy indeed. See you next time. time, brother.